Hi, friends. Welcome back to Have You Met Her, a podcast about amazing women. I'm Paige, and I've been digging into the lives of lesser-known women in history and then sharing some of their stories with you. We're talking about women who took to the air this month, women whose adventurous spirits wouldn't allow them to stay earthbound. So far this month, we've talked about a balloonist and a wing walker, and then last week we talked about a pilot. So I wanted to finish the theme this month, taking the adventurous spirit even further. This week, we'll be talking about the first woman of East Indian origin to fly in space. After her first space flight, she said, When you look at the stars in the galaxy, you feel that you are not just from any particular piece of land, but from the solar system. She overcame many prejudices with only her radiant smile and fierce determination to live her dream of being among the stars. Join me for episode 35, Have You Met Kalpana Chawla? On February 1, 2003, Space Shuttle Columbia was scheduled to return from a 16-day mission dedicated to science and research called STS-107. The STS stands for Space Transportation System. Over the course of the trip, the seven astronauts worked two alternating 12-hour shifts, working to successfully conduct almost 80 experiments aboard a Space Hub double research module, which was in Columbia's payload bay, making it a very successful mission. On board were Commander Michael Anderson, payload specialist Elan Ramon, Commander Rick Husband, pilot Willie McCool, and three mission specialists, David Brown, Laurel Clark, and Kalpana Chawla. This was Kalpana's second flight aboard Columbia, a space shuttle orbiter that had been used by NASA since its maiden flight in April of 1981. Columbia had been flown on 27 previous missions, but due to its mass, it was a heavy ship that wasn't suitable for space station dockings like Challenger and Endeavour, which were little sisters to the monster ship. It was a very well suited for scientific research in space. At around 9 a.m., the systems were checked and the Columbia crew began re-entry into Earth's atmosphere, with the intention of landing at Kennedy Space Center. As the shuttle passed through the most dangerous part of their journey, Mission Control lost contact with Columbia. The shuttle became unstable, rolling and bucking about, and a minute later, debris began falling from the sky. Columbia and her crew were lost. All seven astronauts aboard Columbia were brilliant and obviously qualified, but I spent the last week researching one of them, Dr. Kalpana Chawla, and I cannot wait to tell you all of the things I learned. On March 17, 1962, in a small town called Karnal, halfway between New Delhi and Chandigarh in India, our fearless adventurer was called Montu by her parents and three older siblings when she was born. Her mother always said that she was born in their family, but she had a mind of her own. 
Even as a small child, this little one showed determination and grit, but she also showed an easygoing nature and had a bright, beautiful smile. The Chawla family wasn't originally from Kanal. Like thousands of others in the wake of the partition riots, Banarsi Lal, who was Kalpana's father, had trekked across Pakistan when he was a teenager. He was a refugee and, like many others, had to start his life from scratch. He started as a street hawker, selling items, and then moved on to running a clothing shop. Eventually, the Chala family moved on to the much more lucrative business of manufacturing tires. This change nudged them up the social ladder and helped establish a comfortable home. But Banarzilal never forgot the hard work that it took to establish himself and create the life that he wanted for his family. He taught all of his children that hard work was important and expected. Kalpana always remembered that he instilled in her, no matter what the circumstances are, you can indeed follow your dreams. When the little girl known as Montu started school, she hadn't formally been named yet, so she got to pick out her own name. She chose Kalpana from the list, a word that means imagination. It was a perfect name for the girl with the huge imagination, and school, although not considered a necessity for girls in Karnal, was the perfect place for Kalpana. She attended a small school that wasn't considered to be the best school in town, but what made it special was the way that it was run. A single woman ran the school, and Badi Didi, as her students called her, treated each student as her own child. The affection and dedication left a love of learning in Kalpana, which she would carry for the rest of her life. Some of Kalpana's classmates would remember her as having an abundance of energy. She and her best friend Daisy would invite classmates on adventures to picnic in the park and fantastical imaginative play. Academically, Kalpana was at the top of her class. She loved to learn, but was somewhat shy in speaking out in class. Summer nights in India were often spent out in the courtyard, laying on woven mats and falling asleep while gazing up at the stars. In drawing class, Kalpana drew airplanes. For an environmental project, she designed colorful charts of the sky and the stars. And after school, Kalpana could be found at the Flying Club, one of 12 flying clubs in India. She loved to see the small planes up close and marveled at their flight. Kalpana's father noticed her interest and arranged for her to go on a few small flights. This was life-changing for Kalpana. She would have a future in flying, she just knew it. But she also knew that in her conservative town, it was best to keep her dreams to herself for now. She was lucky enough to be able to go to school. No need to alarm anyone with her secret dreams yet. When Kalpana reached 8th grade, she announced that she was going to focus her studies on engineering. And when she was in 11th grade, she declared that aerospace engineering would be her career. Her academic advisors tried to steer her into more popular engineering fields, like mechanical or electrical, explaining that in India, there wouldn't be any work for an aerospace engineer. However, Kalpana's mother supported her daughter, 
She had always stressed the importance of her children following their passions, and she recognized that her youngest child had very big passions. Kalpana continued her education at Punjab Engineering College. Her experience there helped her focus and redefine her future goals. Being in a bigger city surrounded by her fellow students allowed her to stretch her wings further than she ever had before. She decided that she wanted to design aircraft, fly it, and then fix the problems that she found. Her goal was to become a flight engineer. She began in a class of eight students. Being the only female and a small young woman, she cautiously opened up and quickly became known for her hard work, cheerful attitude, and her lack of fear of being wrong. Quickly, Kalpana rose to the top of her class, but remained, according to a classmate, a very unassuming individual who would engage everyone in conversation. School wasn't easy, but Kalpana enjoyed what she was learning. Later in her life, she would always remind young people that if you enjoy what you're learning about, it's worth the hard work to learn it. She learned about aircraft propulsion, theoretical aerodynamics, and about aircraft materials. While she knew that she was learning important theoretical aspects, Kalpana also started to look further ahead in her studies and mapping out a plan that allowed her to get an even more rounded experience that included practical exposure. She knew that in order to get that, she would have to go to the United States. Quietly and secretly, she started to reach out to American universities, trying to find the best fit. After a love-filled but intense power struggle with her parents, it was finally deemed permissible for Kalpana to travel to the University of Texas and continue her education in 1982. There were a ton of hoops for her to jump through. She had to get a sponsor and coordinate scholarships and paperwork, and even her final flight was delayed. But as Kalpana often reminded herself, when you're going for a goal, the journey is the best part. Texas was a huge cultural change for Kalpana. The topography and climate were similar to northern India, but although the university was considered a liberal hub, the surrounding communities were not. Kalpana connected with other students, who gave her the nickname KC, and created a support system that helped her with the transition to a new environment. She discovered that there was a flying club in the vicinity of the university, and it became a regular hangout spot for Kalpana and her friends. Before long, Kalpana was taking flying lessons. One of the flying instructors that would later become a good friend to her said, There are an awful lot of people who take to flying out of an ego or a sense of some utility or sense of adventure. There are a few who just appreciate the beauty of the act of flying. Kalpana was that kind of person, one of the most accomplished and unassuming persons I have met in my life. One of her closest friends was Jean-Pierre Harrison, a tall French-American. His friends called him JP, and he happened to be one of the first people that Kalpana had met in Texas. 
I think it's really cute that he was JP and she was KC. But anyway, JP was equally as adventurous as Kalpana, and they shared a love of flying. He also shared with her his love of scuba diving. In 1983, Kalpana shocked her family by choosing to marry JP. Although her family had supported her dreams, even if their first reaction was always to keep her close and safe, they had believed that when it was time for Kalpana to marry, they would have been allowed to steer her towards an appropriate match. Being excluded from one of the biggest decisions that Kalpana could make was very hurtful to her family, and unfortunately, they had kind of a strained relationship for quite a few years. I think that it also probably hurt their feelings a little bit when Kalpana became a naturalized American citizen a few years later. I think that this could probably feel like a pretty hurtful rejection from her family's point of view, but Kalpana never forgot where she came from, and I was really happy to read that a few years later, they were able to reconnect and become a huge part of each other's lives again. Although Kalpana didn't participate in some of the traditions of her family, she always adhered to a strict vegetarian diet, which she had grown up with. In Texas, though, she fell in love with McDonald's french fries, believing, like many of us did, that they were vegan. It came as a huge disappointing shock when McDonald's admitted to using beef tallow oil to fry the fries, and Kalpana had to reluctantly stop eating them. When Kalpana received her Master of Science degree, she decided to continue her education at the University of Colorado. She took admission for a doctorate in mechanical engineering. She studied hard for her first year and then realized that it was aerospace engineering that truly made her happy. Now, changing your department at this level of academia is tricky. You can end up forfeiting academic aid or even getting rejected from the program. She spoke at length with a professor that she trusted, and she carefully navigated a successful switch. It was during her time in Colorado that Kalpana finally allowed herself to imagine her dream, to become an astronaut. UC had a rich tradition of astronauts and its alumni. In 1984, she graduated from the University of Colorado with a doctorate of philosophy in aerospace engineering. Her first job with her shiny new degree was at NASA Ames Research Center. The project she worked on was about power lift computational fluid dynamics, leading a team to develop techniques that would improve aerodynamics. After her contract with NASA was over, she went to work in the private sector in Silicon Valley. While this career shift definitely came with a pay increase, it pushed her back to a planning and developing level, further away from her dream job of actually becoming an astronaut. She kept her dream alive, though, by joining the West Valley Flying Club at Palo Alto Airport with her husband. One friend remembered her saying, I remember meeting her for the first time. She was small, both short and thin, not somebody that you would look at and assume to be a force to be reckoned with. And yet she would repeatedly come away doing amazing things, but never in an outgoing way. 
During her time in California, Kalpana held a certified flight instructor rating for airplanes and gliders, and also commercial pilot licenses for single and multi-engine airplanes, seaplanes, and gliders. Every two years, NASA would advertise in trade journals inviting applications to its astronaut program. It was an intense process, as I'm sure you can imagine, consisting of applications, letters of recommendations, medical examinations, and many, many interviews. JP supported Kalpana in deciding to apply, and she began the long process. Then, one day in December 1994, Kalpana received a phone call. It was NASA, and the representative on the phone simply said, We were wondering if you're still interested in coming down and working for the space program as an astronaut. She obviously hastily agreed, but this was only the first step. 122 of the almost 3,000 applicants were invited to go through the physical testing, public speaking, and background checks. She was told at the beginning of the process that to be an astronaut with NASA is one of the rarest and most incredible things any human being can achieve. Kalpana spent the next year training and proving to everyone that she had what it took. She was instructed in land and sea survival, operating aircraft, initiation into mock-up shuttles, motion-based simulators, and even parasailing. In order to see how they responded to zero gravity, astronauts in training were exposed to stints in huge water tanks at the Space Center in Houston. When all the simulations and challenges were complete, Kalpana was assigned as crew representative to work technical issues for the astronaut office, extravehicular activity, and computer branches. In November of 1996, Kalpana was assigned as mission specialist and prime robotic arm operator on STS-87. It was finally happening. Kalpana and the rest of her crew, who remember all called her KC at this point, were put through rigorous training, including physical endurance tests. Remember, Kalpana was short and a small woman, but she was determined. Her teammates recognized that she would have to work harder than they did to keep up and were interested to see how she could rise to the occasion. One of her teammates shared a story that shows not only Kalpana's perseverance, but also her attitude. So the story goes, the group was going to climb a mountain carrying large survival packs on their backs. As they climbed up the mountain together and the air kept getting thinner, some of the team members started to shed some of their baggage to lighten their loads. Kalpana was bringing up the rear of the group, but had done a decent job of keeping up. After quite some time, her teammates noticed that every time one of them removed an item and dropped it, Kalpana would stop, pick up the items, and add them to her own pack. It was an excellent illustration of Kalpana's spirit, generosity without any need for recognition. On November 19, 1997, Kalpana experienced her first space mission, making her the first Indian woman to go to space. The mission, STS-87, 
lasted over 15 days. During the flight, Kalpana was responsible for deploying the Spartan 201 satellite, which was designed and meant to study the outer layer of the sun. During her deployment of the satellite, something went wrong and the satellite wouldn't respond to controls. It was a mistake that was too expensive not to correct, so two of her fellow crewmates participated in an actual spacewalk to capture and retrieve the satellite. Once Columbia was back and the astronauts were safely back on the ground, NASA did what NASA does anytime something goes wrong in their program, and they conducted a five-month-long investigation to determine the cause of the satellite error. Since Kalpana was responsible for the deployment, all eyes were on her and her abilities. In the end, Kalpana was exonerated from all responsibility when the cause was determined to be errors that were found in software interfaces. Despite this thorn, Kalpana was so grateful for the opportunity that she had been given. She had never forgotten where she came from. Yes, she worked hard, but there were also people throughout her life that had helped her accomplish her goals. After returning from her space flight, she reached out to the teachers at the schools that she had attended in India to personally thank them. She said that having seen her teachers make so many efforts to support her as a student, to compliment all of her crazy ideas, and spending all the extra time with her kept her motivated and inspired to continue working towards her goals. They were so touched, and they decided to name their science center after her. Now that Kalpana had earned her NASA legs and her astronaut wings, she partnered with NASA to do something else that she'd always dreamed of. Beginning in 1998, Kalpana created a program to sponsor two girl students from her former schools each year to attend NASA summer camps. Kalpana and her husband would invite the young students into their home and feed them homemade Indian food. As a young Indian girl, meeting Kalpana would be similar to meeting Taylor Swift today. She was such an accomplished woman that was celebrated throughout India. Kalpana would always encourage the students to follow their dreams. In the year 2000, Kalpana was selected for her second flight as part of the crew of STS-107. Prior to the mission, like other NASA missions, there were many panels and media events where questions were asked of the team. I found a clip of a discussion where a reporter asked Commander Mike Anderson about one of the experiments planned for the mission, which would require burning on board the shuttle. He wanted to know the purpose of conducting such a dangerous experiment. I want to play you a portion of this clip. And I want you to listen as Commander Anderson turns the question over to Casey and listen to her response. Jerry Hannafin, uh, Time Magazine. I guess this is the one for uh, Mike Anderson. Uh, I'd like to know uh, something more about uh, fire on board. How do you uh, control these little balls of fire? And what is the 
objective of all this? What is the meaning of this? Are you looking for a fuel that will burn with no uh, oxides or whatever it is? Well, uh, that's a great question, but I think I'd like to turn that question over to KC uh, since she's actually going to be the primary person working that experiment. So, KC, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, really, uh, within the combustion module, we are going to be doing three different experiments. Uh, the first one studies soot formation, and the reason we are doing it in space is, uh, first of all, soot is a bad thing. It means uh, bad for the environment, bad for human health, uh, bad for fuel efficiency. So the combustion chemists want to figure out how to reduce the amount of soot by modeling. And one way to model soot is to study the turbulent diffusion flames because these diffusion flames produce soot. However, in combustion chemistry, when you have turbulence and soot, these are two very hard problems. These are the hardest problems. So the chemists have figured out, the combustion chemists and the modelers, that if we can make this problem simpler, that is take the turbulence part out and just study soot, then perhaps we can extend whatever we learn to the turbulent soot forming flames that we have on Earth. So we go to space because the laminar diffusion flames behave just like the turbulent diffusion flames, and only place where we can have these laminar diffusion flames is space or microgravity. The part that you talked about, how we burn these things and uh, the safety aspect of it. In a male-dominated field, at a time where women's voices weren't always amplified or appreciated, I just want to acknowledge how much respect and confidence Commander Anderson had in Kalpana. I also want to celebrate how intelligent and patient and thorough Kalpana was with her answers to the media. She really was remarkable in wanting them to understand what she was talking about. Obviously, I only inserted a clip from the video, but I will put a link to the entire video in the show notes in case you'd like to watch the entire clip. Mission STS-107 was delayed multiple times due to scheduling conflicts and technical issues, but Columbia was finally launched on January 16, 2003. During the launch, a small piece of foam insulation, which weighed only about 1.67 pounds, broke off from the shuttle's exterior tank and hit the port wing of the orbiter. The issue of the foam breaking off had been noticed before with other launches, but this time the force with which the particular foam struck the wing was definitely a new phenomenon. NASA engineers on the ground control team were concerned and believed that the damage to Columbia was potentially serious. By the time that their concerns were heard though, there was nothing that NASA or the crew would be able to do to repair the damage. The investigation was limited and kept pretty quiet, and no concerns were shared with Columbia's crew. This brings us back to the intro of this episode. During re-entry, the damage to the wing from the foam insulation 
allowed the hot atmospheric gases to penetrate and melt the internal wing structure of Columbia. This caused the explosion. Stargazers from around the world, school children in India, and Kalpana's family who had traveled from India to Texas to celebrate her return all watched and waited. In California, some people noticed a bright glow in the sky that usually signaled the return of a shuttle, but they also noticed a billowing behind the ship. Reports of debris in Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas started pouring in. The remains of the crew of Columbia were identified and recovered. According to her wishes, Kalpana was cremated and her ashes were scattered by her loved ones at Zion National Park in Utah. After her death, Dr. Kalpana Chawla was awarded NASA's Distinguished Service Medal, Spaceflight Medal, and the Congressional Space Medal of Honor. Every year on the last Thursday in January, NASA marks the loss of the Columbia crew, the Challenger crew, and the crew from Apollo 1. No NASA mission has been fatal since the Columbia disaster. Kalpana Chawla wasn't special because of her death. She was special because she had chosen to come out of the comfortable cocoon of a good family, a safe country, and a life that would have been good and fine. She gave that up to explore the world and achieve her dream. There were challenges that came up, but she always found a way through them. She overcame prejudices due to her gender, size, background, always with her eyes on her goals. She was brilliant. She was passionate about her career, and she encouraged others to find their own passions. I was so inspired learning about her story this week, and I hope that you found a connection with Kalpana as well. I read Women in Space, 23 Stories of First Flight, Scientific Missions, and Gravity-Breaking Adventures by Karen Bush Gibson and the book Kalpana Chawla, A Life by Anil Padmanabhan to research for this episode. I also found interesting articles about Kalpana and her missions on both space.com and nasa.com. Please take a minute to rate and review the podcast. I'm proud of these episodes and would love to share the podcast with your friends who might enjoy it. Ratings and reviews, as well as shares, are a free way that you can help me with that. If you have an idea for a theme that you'd like to explore with me, or a specific woman that you want to make sure is on the list, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram page at haveyoumetherpodcast to see some images of Kalpana Chawla. She had one of the best smiles that I've ever seen, so you should definitely check it out. You can also look at the pictures of all the women that we've learned about so far. I think that it's always interesting to be able to see their faces after hearing about some of their adventures. I always share who our Amazing Woman of the Week will be early on Instagram, so follow the show there for that insider's scoop. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you're using so that you never miss an episode. 
And you won't want to miss the November episodes, where we're going to be learning about Native American women and their fascinating stories. See you next week. Thank you.